welcome Jimmy Clifford. Howdy. Uh, Jimmy Clifford's a comedian here in Austin. Very funny. I've seen him perform probably three or four times at Creek in the Cave. Hell yeah. And I think you have a really prolific comedy mind because I see you doing stuff online. I know you have this podcast and I see you working at Creek. Mm -hmm. What is your whole comedic expression? What are all the things you like to do? Um, so I love comedy more than anything. I've been a comedy nerd since I was eight years old. Uh, and I've always just wanted to be a part of it. I love stand-up comedy and I, it's like my favorite thing in the world. That's why when I'm working at the Creek, whether I'm doing tech or security or whatever the hell, I just get to watch shows and it's the best job ever. Cause I can literally just sit around and watch comedy. So I love that. But in terms of like what I want to do, I just want to be able to be creative in whatever way I can. So I like podcasts where you make podcasts. I like sketches. What's your, do you do one podcast? Is it your own podcast? Do you do multiple? Um, I do one podcast. It's called the Jimmy Clifford show. It's with my friend, Greg DePaul and JJ. Um, and I don't think I know Greg. He must be here though. Like, yeah, Greg. So he, Greg's been around as long as I have in Austin and, uh, he started with doing stand up, and then he realized that that wasn't really for him. So we started putting more effort into the podcast and Greg's going to get into acting and we have like web series ideas that we're going to start doing coming September. We have like sketch ideas. We're going to just start pumping out content like crazy, you know, because now uh, we finally have a team. So it's a lot easier to like distribute the workload when you have people that are on board with you and want to do the same things. You know what I mean? Hell yeah. How'd you get there? That's the zero to one jump that nobody can get. Yeah. Well, it's just, you got to a be, honest with yourself in terms of how much work you're willing to put in like there's so many people i talk to at the creek or at other open mics or shows and they're like yeah dude i want to do this i have this idea for a sketch i have this idea for a sketch and then you hit them up day of and you're like okay you're ready to make it and they're like yeah let's just push it back next week and it's like dude what are we doing yeah so there's a lot of people that just talk and uh, when you meet people that like do then you get excited about it and then you know once you start and you start making content on a regular basis, it just becomes kind of like second nature. Yeah. And it's like, well, we have to do one because you know, we've always done one. It's not right. like now I have to go do shoot a podcast. It's like, I'm already used to shooting podcasts. It's, it's I'm already used your to writing. Exactly. You do it every day. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the thing that people don't really understand. In my opinion is like, if you want to be productive and create content, you have to just create content because yeah. People get in their minds also with like this perfectionist idea of like, oh, it's not, I won't be able to shoot it quite the way that I want to, but it's like, you'll never be able to shoot it the way you want to until you do it. Like when I started, and that's how you're was, going to be able to do it the way you want is just by getting it out there. Oh, for sure. Cause like my shit was, it was horrible at the beginning. I remember during the pandemic, I was like, oh, I'm not able to perform. I can't do open mics and get on stage every day. So I'm going to write. A joke every single day and just post for reference online. how long have you been in comedy now then if you six were six years oh, damn hell yeah. yeah i started when i was 18 in damn, gettysburg so pennsylvania you're 24 25 25 wow mm-hmm. and a head start yeah well i mean it, it feels like a head start to some people but then like i'll look at eddie murphy he was on snl at 18 you know wow. what i mean or like wow. pete davidson's been doing comedy since he was 14 it's all just kind of wherever i, I saw tv till i was 21 <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> So, um, but it's just, you know, you have to get into the hang of creating content because whatever you're going to make now is bad. Like there was a great quote that I heard from Ed Sheeran where he's like, the way that I think of songwriting is the same way as like when you turn on an old faucet, when you turn it on at first, you're going to get shitty water coming out. But the longer you leave that faucet on the cleaner and better quality you get. Because you get refined in the practice of it. Yeah, and you Even learn just, how to do it. You learn how to do it. Even if it's just like, I need this phone, this camera, this mic. 
when I try to produce it on this setup, the HDR overexposes the footage and, sure. you know, like there's all these little lessons and it's that commitment to doing it again and again and again. That's how you actually start building a content library. That's valuable. Totally. Plus, you know, you mentioned the equipment people, a lot of people will be like, Oh, I can't do a podcast cause I don't have any money for mics or I don't have the money for a computer. It's like, dude, your phone is more powerful yes. as a camera yes. and a computer than Alfred Hitchcock ever used. And a mic. It's a great mic. It's a great mic. Just plug yeah. in your little iPhone yeah. uh, headset and you can use that because it's a clear audio. And all you're trying to do is get better at whatever this craft is. Yes. Whether it be podcasting, whether it be stand-up, whether it be you know, creating sketches or so. Shows. So what is it? Is it... I, this is something I've been thinking about as I've been doing more stuff online. Um I've been making these like little food videos and rants. Yeah, I saw um, them. They look really good. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I have fun making them and I've always kind of made them. And, um, but they're not really funny. They're just an expression. They're something mm -hmm. creative that I like to do. They're satisfying just in and of themselves. So the question is, uh, now that we're having all these different platforms for comics and entertainers to be able to express themselves, what is really being expressed from a podcast versus a mic, like a stand-up versus a web sketch? Is there something common across all those? Is it just your personality? Is it just your interests? What is being expressed that's shared amongst all those things? Because I'm interested in all of those. So uh, in terms of the difference between those, have you ever heard of Marshall McLuhan? Mm -hmm. So Marshall McLuhan had this uh, idea. He was like this, I don't want to say philosopher, but like, you know, thinker from, you know, the 19th century, uh, 20th century. But he said the medium is the message. So whatever yeah, yeah, you yeah. say yep. in a text message is going to give an, an inherently different vibe to people than if you said it in an email because they're different. Yep. Like if I text you, hey, what's good? You'd be like, okay, you just text back. But if I send you an email that said, hey, what's good? You'd be like, what is this? You know what I mean? It's yes. weird. Yes. So stand up, you know, you have to have a, a laugh every 15 seconds because whether people like to admit it or not, comedy audiences, when they're sitting down, they're built into yeah, that it's rhythm. A, it's a rhythm. Yes. I was going to say a wave, but it's a rhythm. It is a rhythm. And so like when you're hearing five comedians before and then this one guy gets up and he does something different. And then it disrupts it. It disrupts the rhythm. So it sounds different. You're already like, uh, kind of cranky note. Yeah, in the song. So, and, and it makes the audience a little bit more uncomfortable and it makes the comedian a little bit more uncomfortable. You can get past that if you're someone like, you know, Chappelle, where you're just so experienced, you know how to control the crowd, you know where all the punchlines lie, and you can use that silence and that like awkwardness to your advantage. But when you're starting out, I think it's important to kind of stick to keeping up with that rhythm, especially because we're doing showcases and you want to keep the show going. You don't want people to bail out. Even if you can, though, because sometimes people come up with such energy and there's such a vibe. Mm -hmm. And if you can't match that same energy, you can't bring that same emotion, yeah. then you're going to bomb the room. <laughs> totally. Exactly. <laughs> I and mean, not in a good way. Like you're going to you're going to shut down the room. 100 percent. And you have to also have to like be present because stand up is a very present thing. So let's say something crazy happens right before you get on set yep. uh, on stage and then you go on stage and you're like, so dishwashers are weird. You know what I mean? People <laughs> are still thinking about the crazy thing that already happened and you, you have not to address that. addressing it is going to yeah. be like, I can't even focus on what you're talking about. Someone was just, you know, giving birth on state, whatever. And, um, that's its own art form that I never really appreciated until I started doing open mics was comics ability to riff off what the last guy did. Mm -hmm. And it's that's the communication, the conversation 
is that you have this way that you've been presenting on stage. If I can take that energy and merge that into what I, the energy I'm trying to bring, then it flows. Yeah. But if I just come in with some like left field topic, then, and it doesn't acknowledge anything that's been said previously, then it is like, uh, it's like music with a bad note or something. Totally. Stand up is this thing where people, the audience, although they understand that we write jokes ahead of time, they want it to feel like we're just talking to them. And so just like if you were in a conversation with a group of people and yeah. something crazy happened and then your friend goes, you know, dishwashers are crazy. You're like, dude, you let's focus on this for a minute. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is wild. Yeah. So when you can go in and you can address something that happens in the room, I think it really helps people suspend that disbelief and be like, oh, he's going to just talk to me. It's not like he even has material. He might be a funny guy, but he's just going to talk to me. Do you think there is some element of it that is just talking, though? Because you are trying to get into the same feeling and headspace as when you originally wrote it. So like if you have an idea and you're trying to communicate that in a funny way, I mean, I suck at this. I haven't done comedy enough to like actually have a strong opinion here, but the times where I felt in the zone are when, when I was speaking on stage, it was the exact same feeling as writing it. It was a similar feeling. Yeah, as well, because it. what your goal is as a comedian is to try to make the onstage person the same as the offstage person. You're just trying to be honest. Yes, and the awesome. honesty is what's the most funny part about it. You know what I mean? So that's why, you know, people might be like, oh, you're talking about the same topics. It's like, yeah, but I'm talking about it and you want to hear yeah. my perspective. Yeah. All comedy is, is taking a perspective on a certain stance. Yes. If you don't have that perspective, then you, you don't have a joke. Yes. You know what I mean? So uh, the importance of doing stand up and being honest and being present in that moment and, sh and making it seem like I'm just talking, even though that I'm not is the is the the craft in my opinion and i think that's why that craft attracts similar types of people like i think com comedians are very similar in how their minds work mm -hmm. where they get annoyed easily at things that they think are not honest or not real or totally. fake or you know one of the things i listened to your podcast with uh uh nate with uh, nate de la hoya and um one of the things that you said in there is that comedians were fighting uh the blue haired crowd or something yeah, yeah, like yeah. we used to be fighting this like ultra religious old white guy whatever mm -hmm. now and i just love that idea that what we're fighting against is nonsense with nonsense we're going to show you how stupid this way of thinking is by creating these comparisons or whatever you know whatever a joke totally. is yeah i think the best way to write a joke and the best like jokes are just topics that we all know but looked at in a different way yeah. So yeah, like yeah. I'll take a topic and I'll write down like maybe 15 or 20 questions. Cause what I love to do is I like, I like to write monologue jokes. So I'll just look through the newspaper. I'll see something that catches my eye. I'll write down the exact headline and then I'll write down like three or four keywords about it. And then I'll ask myself questions. So, um, okay. For example, I wrote a joke the other day where I said, uh, a high school football coach was recently fired for praying after football games. And I'm like, okay, the, obviously the question is like, why did he get why what was he praying about or why was he fired just for praying yeah. and then you think oh it's a public school so you know you have to keep religion separate that's like the obvious answer but i'm like what well, what if they weren't angry that he was praying what if they were angry what he was praying about so then i was like so a, a high school football coach was recently fired for praying after football games uh he said dear lord baby jesus please send me some more black kids <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it makes sense. Uh, yeah. It's like we want to be good at the game yeah, and, yeah. and whatever. Really so it's a silly joke, but it's just looked at from a different angle. 
and it's got a little bit of a twist in there and yeah like jokes are so complicated they're they're simple they're simple mm -hmm. and but they're they're complicated i think one of the things that uh, i struggle with is just in conversation i feel pretty comfortable throwing out any idea and i feel like i have ideas that are like funny enough to get laughs in conversation but translating that into a stage performance mm -hmm. That is its own unique well, diff challenge. It makes it much more difficult because one of the things that you don't have in the stage performance that you do in conversation is context. So yeah. let's say you're talking oh, to your you have family. To build that context. Yeah, you have to build it. So let's say you're talking to your family and you're like, oh, you know, everybody knows I'm a big cat guy. You're being sarcastic because your family knows you have a dog, but the stage, everyone in the audience has yeah, no they idea. Don't know that. Right. So it, it's not funny anymore. Right. You have to build in the. That's why whenever I see comics that I'm like, they're able to set the tone of who they are early. Yeah. They're the best ones because then we can pick up on all those little jokes that might just be throwaways. They're not like big punchlines, but it's still funny. And he keeps me laughing throughout the whole set. And you're resonating with it because you're understanding more and more of that person. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that I think uh, would probably be harder as you become more successful is to find that authenticity. Because if everyone knows who you are, they're just going to laugh at everything you say. And you, and you hear that with bigger comics where Do, they're like, yeah. But you know what's interesting is there are some comics that know that. And so, for example, whenever Chris Rock will go into the cellar and do a set, he'll bomb for the first five minutes because he goes, it doesn't matter who you are. If you're bombing, you're bombing and it'll bring everybody back down. They're yep, like, OK, yep. he's a it regular person again. Down, yep. And then he'll go into the material well, that he wants master. to work on. So then he can see, does this have legs or not? So then when he goes out to do a theater, everyone's losing their mind at Chris Rock. But he's also giving jokes that work regardless. And so you have both of it and it hits even harder. Can you imagine having like so much good material that you'd be comfortable being like, oh, I'm just going to bomb and then I'll bring it back up. Mm -hmm. it's like, I've, I've been, there are people you, at the Creek that I see do it all the time. I mean, it's... Who, who are your favorite uh, regular Creek performers that are like local here in Austin, not visiting? Hmm. Like guys people wouldn't have heard of before. So I think that the, the people that I like are very different. Um, Casey Rocket. Oh, Casey. Come hilarious. On. Yeah. I mean, and he's, his energy, his vibe. Yeah. And what's great about Casey is like as someone, as a comic, as a tech guy that sits in the back and watches every set, he changes it up constantly. Like, you know, I'll have jokes. Well, he'll have jokes that he'll bring in over and over again, but like he'll do it in a different way. He'll do it in a different part. He'll add more punchlines. I got COVID shot in my eyes. Oh, my God. 40, 40. He, he's crazy. I don't want to I don't want to butcher his joke that I, I won't butcher. He's crazy. And it's just so entertaining to watch. Yeah. Another one. Miles Johnson. Miles has a great vibe. Oh yeah. Oh, my God. He's, Miles is a killer, dude. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite. The biggest compliment I can give Miles is have you ever been to the heckle mic? Uh, no, no, I haven't. Been okay. To so every Sunday there's this thing called banana phone and it's yep. run by Candace Medina. And yep. the way it works is it's, um, it's a regular open mic four minutes, but after one minute of uninterrupted stage time, the audience is encouraged to heckle you. That's awesome. And so, you know, basically the, it's a 10 o'clock on a Sunday night and it's only comedians. Sometimes you get people hanging out from the, the show earlier. So you get some real people in there, but they're always too scared to actually say anything. So it's just comedians yelling insults yeah, at you. Yeah, and yeah. It, typically it's your friends. Yeah. So it just gets so out of hand and it's so much fun. And what's good is it's like, this is my favorite part is uh, you'll yell out a heckle and the heckle will might bomb. And if it bombs, everyone turns to you and shits on you for the bad <laughs> heckle. And so it's just like it's pure justice, in my opinion. Yeah. 
And, you know, comics will be like, oh, this is bullshit. I only get one minute and then they just heckle me. I can't even go through my jokes. What's the point? Bro, I've seen Miles Johnson go up there and murder with strictly material. It's like he's killing with the jokes so hard that nobody even wants to heckle. They just want to keep listening. And that's when you win. You beat the heckle mic. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's got his own uh, vibe. Like, I'd say Casey's vibe is, like, really high energy, really mm-hmm. bringing a lot of, like, uh, it's energy. And Miles is, like, a lot less energy, but not less funny. Silly. Just yeah, silly. Yeah, very silly. Very silly. But uh, so this is something else I wanted to ask you. What is the relationship? So, like, roasting is an element of comedy that I've been thinking about a lot and trying to figure out. Because sometimes I love it. I love it. Like when you nail someone and it's perfect and it's hilarious, yeah, it's really good. Other times it's fucking mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, what are you trying to like make that guy cry? Oh my god. Yeah. And well, so like, what is that line? Why sometimes do I look at it and I'm like, oh, I would like look at him. He's gonna cry. And I like, you know, you start feeling bad for the guy. And other times you're just like laughing along with him. And I can't even figure out what is the difference. I think it's two things. One, um, like Patrice O'Neill said, good jokes and bad jokes come from the same place. And so, like, even if someone says something that sounds really mean, because of the fact that it's a roast, you know that they were going for the laugh and they might have failed. And so that's just something I always try to keep in mind. Plus, a roast is more than just the jokes. It's, I think it's really important to have that dynamic between the roasters, even if they don't know each other. If they can have, like, a good rapport and a good banter, it makes it more fun. And you realize, oh, that person's not taking it very seriously. Yeah. Um, and that's a lot of what comedy is, is yeah. being able to roast yourself and just like, you know, like come up with, uh, because you're the one on stage, you're talking, you're like got a light on you, your, your voice is amplified. So you got to be willing to take some hits. Oh, for and sure. And I mean, it's kind of like y- you expect to take the hits. Like right. when I go yeah. up at the heckle mic, I'm hoping that someone has a joke that hits me so good. I'm just like, yeah, I'll be using that in my act. I was going to say, you know like, I mean? if you Thank have a really you. good joke about yourself, that's like gold. Yeah, I just record it and I save it. I write it down. I'm like, we're going to use that later. Yeah. And so, you know, that's something that people have to keep in mind. Also, understanding, like, nothing is ever personal, especially with yeah. comedians. Like, we're just fucking around. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if you well, take you it personally. There, do you think there are, like, comic vendettas? Like, have you seen any of this uh, drama between Bobby Lee and uh, I think it's Brendan Schwab? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So... Like, is that, is that all performative or do you think that they're real vendettas? Because I've had some run-ins, but, you know, like, I forget those things in, like, 12 hours or whatever until they happen again. Yeah, it's kind of like this is show business. And even if, let's say, they don't like each other, they're both people that have shows and yep. they're like, this is going to help us. Yeah. So, like, my, one of my biggest comedy influences of all time is Howard Stern. And he knows if there's a fight people are going to be interested. Yep. Yep. And it's going to, it's going to help Brendan's show. It's going to help Bobby's show. It's yep. going to just keep it relevant. And I, that's what I see whenever I see that stuff, because you know, if they really had an issue with one another, they're not going to do it on the podcast. They're going to walk up to it. Brendan's an and MMA fighter. It, He's yeah. going to walk up and say, Hey, what's the, what's the deal? You know yeah. I mean? I guess it's LA, so it's a little bit different, but you know, no, there is something where we're all in the same industry. And even if that inter- industry is just entertainment, right? You're just trying to like find ways to like, uh, be informative or funny or whatever. You're just trying to entertain people. And in that way, uh, there's no bad press or whatever they say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you know, it's show business. So you can be great at the show, but if you're shit at the business, no one's going to see the show. 
Yeah. And so yeah. it, it's both. You need to be good at the business to get people to see the show. So that's another thing I wanted to ask you. I think you, uh, from what I've heard from other people and just seen for myself, you have a great work ethic. Thank and you. I wonder what feels like uh, the hardest work of all the stuff that you do in entertainment and producing content and doing comedy and podcasts and all that stuff. Where's the work that you don't look forward to? Mm. I mean, I guess editing is, is a annoying thing I have to do because I don't, I'm not an editor. Like, you know, I'm all ADHD. I have trouble just sitting in one spot, especially if it's going to be for a prolonged period of time. But, uh, to be fair, like, I don't really feel like I'm working ever because like, that's one of the reasons that I don't get burned out is because a, I do a lot of different things. It's not like I'm just doing stand up where I get, I do 13 open mics every day and then I want to shoot myself. Yeah. But I'm doing the podcast, I'm doing sketches, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. So I have enough variety that I'm constantly interested. Plus my favorite thing in the world, like the only feeling that gets me going isn't like, oh, I hope this video does well. And because to be fair, once I'm done making the thing, I lose interest in it. Mm -hmm. So I'm bad at like the promotion and getting people to see and how it looks. I'm not good at all that. But my favorite feeling in the world is once you made something and then you look back a year later and you're like, oh, I'm so much better than that. Oh yeah, that, that is feeling, a great feeling. It's that incredible. Progress. Yeah, totally. Just knowing like, oh, whatever this work is, it's actually helping. I'm getting better and it's I can see it and yeah. so I'm sure other people can see it. That feeling of progress is like it transcends comedy. It's across all industries and anything mm -hmm. you try to develop about yourself, just feeling that progress is it's pretty like people go to the gym, you know, they yeah. want to look every time they look good, it's not that they're comparing, Oh, I look so good now. It's like I look so much better than I did before. Right. You right. Know, you lose a hundred pounds, you might still be fat, but you're like, I was a yeah. fat piece of shit before and now I'm only a slightly fat piece of shit. Yeah, totally. It's that progress. It's mm -hmm. that feeling of progress. But, uh, so none of it, well, what about, so like going to an open mic, you can't just like walk up to an open mic and get on stage. There's like a good hour or so of, even if it's just driving there, you know, like signing up, waiting, listening to other mics, how, like if one of my favorite things, okay, there's a couple thoughts here, but one of my favorite things about content creation is there's zero barrier to entry. You don't need a physical building. You don't need a stage. You don't need a mic. You don't need lights. You just need your phone. You just record and hit publish. Um, so if I was to say some of the work of comedy for me has been actually getting to the point where I can get on a stage and say the three minutes or whatever, because mm -hmm. I'm very introverted. I'm very homebody type person. And uh, it takes energy just to even get, go out or whatever, you know. And by the time I've like listened to a mic for an hour and a half and I've been out and about, my energy's like half of what it was when I came out the door. And that's what I was trying to present on stage was that full energy. Mm -hmm. And so that's like some of the work for me. But is there is there work of comedy for you? So when I far first started comedy, I was in New York City. And I was living in the Bronx and I would have to take, I would have to walk a mile to the closest subway and then take a train all the way down to the Lower East Side. That was about an hour and a half each way. And then you get there and in New York City, there are 4,000 active stand-up comedians. Oh, shit. So the community is huge, yeah. huge. And when you meet people, a lot of them are a little apprehensive to talk to you because they're like, yeah, I could talk to you. We could build a friendship and then you could quit two weeks later and it's all for naught. Like, what's the point? So they're not as open and willing to create a relationship. Whereas um, 
I felt the exact same thing you did. You know, I would walk to the mic, I would sit there, I wouldn't really talk to anyone, I don't know anyone, and I'm just waiting for my time to get up. And it's draining. Mm -hmm. And you have that thing in the back of your mind where you're constantly comparing yourself to all these mm -hmm. other comedians. Oh my God, that guy killed. I have to kill just as hard as that guy. But once you, I moved to Austin, I was like, okay, I am doing comedy 100%. That's all I'm going to focus on. And I'm just going to try to ingratiate myself within the community. Yep. So I go to these mics. Hey, how you doing? My name's Jimmy. Blah, blah, blah. We start talking. And then they see you come back day in and day out. And they realize, oh, you're here for like real. Long term, yeah. And so you build these friendships. Yep. And then when you start going open mics, it's You're not, hanging out with your friends. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm chilling with my buddies yeah. until I get to go up. And now I get to put in work. And it doesn't feel like I'm drained at all because I get recharged from my friends. That's fair. That's totally fair. And so plus it also takes out the the competitiveness because it's not like I want to crush that guy because I'm, I want to prove to all these people I'm a better comedian. It's like, oh, that guy's my buddy and he's working on a new bit. I wonder how I can help him with that bit and what he's doing with it. Maybe that'll help inform my comedy, all these different things. And it just, it starts growing rather than like having that negativity, which will eat you away, man. I mean, you can't be negative, especially in the world when you're asking to be judged. Our industry, yes. we're constantly asking to be judged. Yes. And so if we're judging ourselves among each other, then we're getting yes. it from all angles. Yeah. And so the best thing that I've found is just once you find that community of people, that group of friends that you're like, oh, we're all in it together, yeah. it totally changes everything. I think that would totally change the game. Um, and then you're kind of like, uh, I don't know. There's also just you, they, comedians rub off on each other, just like anyone does, right? Whoever you spend time with, you're the average of the five closest people you spend time with have you heard that makes sense it's just like you're you're the average of your five best friends basically and um and yeah you start thinking more comedically mm -hmm. and you start seeing the punchline you start seeing the joke and you start like competing in conversation where you want to be saying the funny thing yeah and if you're not hanging out with those guys that muscle it totally atrophies it totally atrophies yeah it's like um have you ever quentin tarantino in a podcast or an interview or something he was like I was the best filmmaker among all of my friends, but I was in Loserville. Like I needed to get to people that are better than me. Yeah. So then I can start getting, you know, they might still be better than me, but I'm going to be better than myself every single time. It's totally. like running a race with fast people versus slow people. You could win every slow race, Doesn't but your time's you. not going to get better. Yes. So that's how I think about it. Plus, you know, it's just, there's no one more fun to hang out with than comedians. We it don't really take anything isn't. seriously. Think about it. Yes, These people it really isn't. think all day long, on how to make other people laugh. And they're willing to say the ridiculous thing. That is my favorite thing about comics. So my first exposure was uh, probably 2016 or so. I was living in LA and I was listening to Joe Rogan's podcast. He was always talking about this place, the comedy store, the comedy store. Like, you know, I was like, okay, let's go see what the comedy store is. And, uh, yeah, it took about three seconds to get hooked. And then before you know, I'm like there on Tuesday, Thursday, mm -hmm. now I'm there Monday, Wednesday, Thursday. Now that, you know, like I'm like getting, I'm, I'm every time I'm in LA, I was actually living in Utah at the time and going out there every time I'm in LA, I'm like going out there and I'm meeting people. And the thing that I just loved was this front area. Well, there's a few hangs. There was a hang, uh, in the parking lot in in the in the bar, in the front, and then the kitchen, the back, all sorts of hangs. But in those hangs, people were just saying shit, mm -hmm. crazy shit. And I was like, nobody talks like this. Like I was working at a corporate job, just doing the business thing. You know, you can find some funny people in there, but like nobody is as open and 
ex- and playful as comedians. Totally. And like, just like you were saying with those different hangs, the same thing is at the Creek in the Cave. You know, yeah. you walk into oh, the back totally. patio. Absolutely. And the way I like to describe it is it's like, um, it's like a lake. And each different conversation is a different lily pad. So you can go swim out in the lake. And then if you get tired by yourself, just hop on a lily pad, talk to people. Because it doesn't matter if they're, if comedians are in a circle and just some random guy walks up and stands there, we're going to include you. Because regular people in minds of comedians are more important because, oh, we can actually try some stuff on you guys yeah, without even right. realizing totally. it. And if it gets a laugh, then we're going to add it to the act. And another great thing about hanging out with comedians is it, it helps your act. Like the other day I was hanging out with my friend Zahid. He's hilarious. He, um, he's a guy from Houston and we're just talking and he goes, dude, that's all you should put that. Have you done that on stage? And I was like, no, I've never even said that before. And he goes, write that down, do it on stage. And now it's a bit that I'm like really excited about. And I would have never even thought to say that on stage. How long does your material last? How long do you do a bit before you like, you know, either get bored of it or are you just, it's always a growing library. Like, do you ever retire material yet? Um, I mean, six years is a pretty good amount of time. You must, you're probably not th- saying this. There's stuff you jokes that I don't do anymore just because I don't think they're as funny as the jokes that I do now. Yeah. And, uh, but like, I would never retire a bit that worked just because I was tired of it. Like, I think another aspect of the craft of stand-up is performing. And just like, you know, if you're on Broadway, you have to do eight shows a week. And you have to make you have each to bring show it every time. feel like the first time you've ever done that show. Yeah. And stand-up's the same way. Yeah. And so, like, I'm a big believer in constantly refining the act. Whereas uh, there are a lot of comedians that's just, you know, new material, new material, new material. Like, that's one of the things that's that makes... very interesting... Uh, yeah, keep going. One of the things that makes Miles great is that dude writes constantly and he's doing all these weird different things and they don't really connect, but they're just, they're hilarious bits on their own. Whereas like, I want to feel when I start my set to when I end my set, I don't want long, I don't want to be the comedian. I want to be Jimmy. And the only way for me to do that is to have like a, a topic or a series of topics that relate to each other. They have cohesive transitions yeah. and it never feels like this is a joke it just feels like i'm talking yeah to just you. like you're talking so there's two elements there though there is the joke writing like the actual material and then there's the performance like mm-hmm. how you're behaving on stage how are you capturing attention holding it what is the vibe you're bringing what is the energy and i think those are two good comparisons miles versus casey because they're both hilarious but they have very different vibes. Mm-hmm. I think they have very different vibes. Totally. Like, especially just in terms of body language, Casey's all over the stage. Miles, Miles kind of stays in the one place. Yeah. Yeah. He just puts the mic right in the stand and just holds the stand. It's like, it's, it's like the difference between Robin. But I'd enjoy watching Norman, either of those guys. Robin equally. Williams, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So there's like, oh yeah. So that's what I was saying. It's like, there's this performative element to your comedy or to whatever you're expressing and you're saying that is that something you're actively cultivating where you're trying to constantly bring it back to what's authentic back to mm-hmm. what's genuine back to Jimmy. Yeah. i will okay so when you do it when you're doing stand-up you're in front of a bunch of different types of rooms some crowds are going to have so much energy and they're going to give you so much every time and you're like boom 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 and you kind of just feed off of that and other crowds are going to be totally dead but you can't control the crowd. You can only control yourself. Yeah. So even if there's a dead crowd, I'm going to come out with as much energy as if it was a packed room. Yep. And because you can switch. I've seen rooms of four people be a phenomenal audience. Is that a muscle you built or do you feel like you've always had that? You seem very extroverted. I, I've always been very extroverted. But when, the, when I first started, 
I constantly had that, I need that rhythm of joke, joke, or laugh, 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 laugh. And so when I didn't get that, I would um, like revert and try to match the crowd's energy, which is not good. And I was also in New York and New York is very different than Austin or even LA because New York, everyone's sad and they feel like these little sad fucked up poets. <laughs> and so you, you look at guys like Dave Attell, you know, he has the hoodie up, the black zip up hoodie and he's leaning against the brick wall and he's just kind of saying jokes into the microphone versus you go to LA and you see a guy like Chris D'Elia who's oh, running yeah. all over the place yeah. and he's doing this and he's doing that. And I thought, oh, I'm in New York. I have to just rely completely on the material and I can't jump around even though that I would do that if I was at a party. And uh, when I moved out to Austin, I realized like, why am I trying to put myself in this mm -hmm. box and be this comedian? Whereas why can't I just let the funny version of Jimmy out on stage? And once I just kind of figured out how to do that, everything changed for me. And I think the way that I figured out how to do that was by, I started hosting an open mic. Mm. And when you host an open mic, it was outside. It was on Rainy Street. So people are constantly getting distracted. Like, you know, a girl with big titties walks by and every guy in the crowd's like, oh, oh, oh. you know what I mean? And you lose all the attention. So I had to then fall into the Jimmy that would hold court at a frat party or hold court at my family Thanksgiving where I know there's all these other things going on, but here, listen to me, listen mm -hmm. to me, listen to me. And once I started doing that, I learned how to start telling my jokes that way and telling them in a way where it's not like, okay, here's time for a joke, everybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was yeah, just yeah. me talking. But that's a very great way to put it. I mean, holding core is, uh, is that's what you're doing. And so there's a few thoughts there. One is you're trying to establish a connection with the audience. And if you're coming up, they're going to feed off whatever energy and vibe you're bringing. If you're coming up like all sad and low energy and be like, I don't even want to be here, which you see all the time at open mics. Constantly. Like, why are you torturing yourself then? Just like, don't do it. But uh, if you come up with that versus like, you're genuinely just, maybe you're nervous, maybe you're like uh, excited energy, but you're genuinely happy to be there. And yeah. it's genuinely what you want to be doing. That is so translatable. And so like, it comes back to like, what is holding court? How do you capture that attention? Is that through, uh, you know, I'm sure there's tips and tricks, but is that just through the energy you bring or I don't know, like, well, I think the reason that people that? walk up on stage and they're like, yeah, hey, what's up? And they match the crowd's energy is because of their fear of rejection. Yeah. If they go out and they bring all that energy and then the jokes bomb, they're going to, it's going to hurt twice as much because you put that into it yeah. and then you still failed. Yeah. And that's why people are so afraid to do act outs because I don't want to act out and be silly. Like, and like being physical on stage. Like, yeah. Or do voices or characters yeah, yeah, yeah. or a dance or whatever. Yeah. It's because I'm afraid that it might not work. And then that would be worse than like, let's say I go up and I'm like, I don't even care. And then I don't get any laughs. Well, it's like, yeah, of course I didn't get any laughs. I didn't bring any energy up on stage, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. And so it's, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it might even be a form of self-sabotage. Yeah, well, if you're looking at it logically, it is a form of self-sabotage because you're going out there to try to work on this thing and yeah. you're not working on it because yeah. you're afraid of how it's going to be perceived. Yes, yes. And the thing is, you have no say on how you are perceived. The only thing that you can tell is I'm a walk up there. I'm a throw it at the wall. If it hits great, if it doesn't, I'm a try something else next time. Yeah. That's the beauty of open mics. There's constant. You can do it every single day. Yeah. And you need to in order to get better. Yeah. But like doing it every single day, I mean, it, it is, it becomes part of a lifestyle, I guess, where you just know you're going to be there and you know, every mic and what time and where you're slotted. It's and like working out. It. it really is. It really is. It's about consistency. 
but it would be nice if there was like some kind of more organized or easier way to like know like okay at 7 30 p.m that's just how my brain works at 7 30 p.m i'm gonna be here or there or there or that you know you just know it but it's not really part of the game because it is such a nebulous like it's such a um amorphous community and world of comedy any other industry there's a track to get a job like you go to school for this many years you go and uh contact this recruiter the recruiter prepares you for the interview you pass or fail even when you're in a job there's a path to get promoted and here's the guidelines and the rules and roles and expectations it's all spelled out it's very simple in mm -hmm. comedy it's like you just sign up at an open mic good luck good luck it depends on where you're located it depends on who you know there's like so much unknown about it one of the things that brings me great solace because you know i went to college my mom and dad they paid uh to send me to a real school where i had a real education and I was what was your real, real education job. In? what was it yeah uh communications with an emphasis on film so uh, okay. not real but you know right. what i mean kind of industry related yeah it was like you know uh, I was working film production for a long time in New York um, and I was doing like 60 hours a week there and then I would try to do comedy on top of it and it just burns you out. Mm. But one of the things that makes me feel confident enough to even enter this industry is the understanding that the funniest people and the most talented people are not the most successful. The mm. only thing that determines success in this world is work ethic. That's it. Look at someone like Brendan Schaub. It seems like a very nice guy. His stand-up sucks. It's bad. It's bad. <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to say. It's yeah. bad. I mean, listen, dude, I love He's them. entertaining. He's entertaining. On the podcast, but the stand-up's yeah. no good. It's dog shit. And Some it's people are better podcasters than stand-up. What I'm saying sure. is it doesn't matter, dude. The, the guy released a special. The guy's doing this podcast. He's bopping on all these other podcasts. He's doing shows every night. He fucking works. And but, that's why he's successful. Yeah, yeah. There's so many funny comics that I know that have no work ethic, and yeah. they're, they're never going to get anywhere. Yep. And it's because they're not actually exposing whatever they got to the world. And it's in that exposure time and time again. It's like we were saying in the beginning of content creation. Yeah, it's going to suck. Mm -hmm. And you're going to lose your footage. And there's going to be, you know, some like distracting things in the background or whatever that makes the uh, content be not quite as good. And then once you figure out all those things, you iron them out. Uh, that's when you start getting like something more polished mm -hmm. and it only comes from reps. It's yeah, it is like working 100%. out. It's just reps. So plus how many reps can you get with content? You also need to learn how to bomb online. I feel like the only reason I even attempted YouTube and uh, Instagram and all those things is because I got so comfortable bombing on a stage. The thing that I learned about bombing is it just doesn't matter as long as you're having fun. Mm -hmm. If you're genuinely like, how can you not be? You're on a stage. You're the guy holding the mic. You know, you got you're under the lights. You're holding the mic. 100%. You should just appreciate that. When I, uh, I, I was mentioning earlier. During the pandemic, I wasn't able to perform, so I would write a joke every single day. I would f take my camera, film it right in front of my face, title it Joke of the Day, and release it. I did probably 300 of them. On social media? Yeah. Oh, I haven't every, seen any of those. It was an old account. Okay. <laughs> um, and it was, it was so embarrassing. I mean, these jokes would bomb. And it was only, <laughs> not my comedian friends, but my regular friends, where they would be the ones watching it. And they're like, so like you're really putting all your eggs in this whole comedy basket, aren't you? <laughs> like, I promise you, it'll work out eventually. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. I just learned how to bomb online. So now I'm not afraid of, you know, taking those risks with the content, with the podcast. And then, because I know, hey, 
even if it bombs, it's not the end of the world. It's not. It's all just a lesson. It's a learning. You learn why it bombed. Maybe it bombed for a reason that you like. Mm -hmm. Like maybe you want to keep doing it and just adjusting it. You know, like I'm not saying just to keep bombing for fun, but like maybe you still really believe in that idea and you just want to try it in a different way. Yeah, Casey Rocket said that he would bomb for the first two years. He would walk up on stage and sing Chandelier by Sia. And then these people were like, what the fuck is this guy doing? But he's like, I know I know, something's funny here, and he's going to figure it out. And he did. And I think the thing that Miles has, Casey has, and any good comic has is that authenticity where they found out what is interesting about their energy, their vibe. You bring that on stage big time. When you go on stage... It's captivating and you actually have a flow. You Thank actually you. have a flow. Yeah. Well, it's all about that rhythm, right? Yeah. Because the audience, the whole point of stand up in my head is you're going to make them uncomfortable and then you're going to break that tension. Yeah. So when I go up, I want them to know I'm like the pilot of an airplane. Trust me, wherever I bring us, we'll get to where we're trying to go. Yeah. So, like, let's say I bring up a topic that's a little weird like homeless people masturbating. People are like, oh, but then all of a sudden I can bring it to that same funny place that people will know to grow and expect from me. Just like when Chappelle's talking about a topic, you're like, I'm gonna let him, I'm gonna give him some wiggle room because I know he's the master and he'll get me there eventually. Yeah, but sometimes you give a comic your mind. This happened to me the other day at Creek. I can't, I won't say who it was or what the joke was, but it was graphic and horrible. <laughs> and it yeah. was like, that's my dog. Chill the bud. It was uh, graphic and horrible. And the whole time I'm thinking he's going to turn it around. He's going to turn it around. And it was like watching a slow plane crash. And I'm just like, we're just going to hit the ground. And then he goes off stage. And I'm like, we just hit the ground. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like everyone felt the same way. We're yeah. like, it's so graphic. It's so horrible. You're putting all these images in our head. And we keep thinking it's about to flip into the joke. But mm -hmm. it never did. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's that just comes from like maybe he was trying it out on stage and he's like, this is a funny topic, but he didn't get to that punchline. And having done that on stage and and listened to it, because, you know, I always say tape every time you're on stage, watch it back because you are a lot better of a, cri uh, of a critic than you are of a performer. Do you tape? Do you do mic or video or both? I bring my, uh, I have a little GoPro that's on nice. a little stand and I just yep. put it right in front of the stage and I watch myself afterwards. Do you, do you use a tripod for that? I'm, let's yeah, talk tactical. Yeah, it's like this, it's this cheap little $30 tripod that I bought on top and it's like a little stick. So it's not even a, a tripod tripod. It's like yeah. a little handle that has three things that come out and, and it just stands on its own. It's great. Yeah. And you know, I'm not looking to like post this stuff. So it's yeah. not like the high quality content, but it, it tells me where how I looked on stage how I delivered the jokes I could hear the audience laughter where there was no audience laughter and I can kind of get the vibe of what I'm going for I think you need that video element a lot of mine I would just record on my watch but then one time I did have a video performance and I found that people were laughing oftentimes not at what I was saying but what I was doing yeah well, where I would just like make some gesture with my hands or whatever you know like that would be the thing that got the laugh well body language is like 80 to 85 percent of what communication is yeah it so is it is if, if you're giving up on that 85 percent you're only listening to the jokes then all you're really listening to is the written thing and you can just look at that on the page you can see oh there's too many words here before the punchline cut that yeah whereas when you're on stage you can get away with that based on how you're delivering it you give a funny face you give some hand gestures everything it's all encapsulated because it's a whole performance it's not we're not rappers we're not releasing albums we're, we're in there live doing it at the moment. And yes. to be fair, whenever I see rap live, it sucks. Like, yeah, yeah. They always play their song with the vocals 
and then the rap over the vocals. I'm like, this this is no performance at all. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But so you have the podcast, you have uh, your stand up. What is your what do you what is your content? What kind of content do you create? Um, in terms of what? Just like online. Uh, do you do any content creation? I th- yeah. Like web yeah, shorts? So, or- so one of the things that I like to do is I make a lot of videos. Like I said, I write monologue jokes because when I started, I wanted to be a writer for late night TV or oh. maybe hosted late night TV show. So I like writing those jokes just to get into the repetition of joke writing and getting that muscle. So what I do is I make these little videos where um, I'm in front of a green screen. I tell the joke based on the news and it has uh, the pictures pop up. And it's super short, sweet, and easy. In and out. Um, I also do... um, There's a bunch of different shows that happen at the Creek. So, like, there's one show that is called Good Evening. It's run by Jack Timmons and Cody Myers. It's a very funny comedy news show. And I do this little segment called In Other News, where I just do more of those monologue jokes. Um, I like writing sketches. Uh, I drive Uber for work also. So, I make... Excuse me. I recreate Uber stories that happened in the car but I do it with comics as the actors and that's a lot of fun to do. Um, I just, honestly, I want to be creative in however way I can. So like next, this upcoming Monday, I go to Edinburgh for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I'm going to be there for a month and I'm going to be bringing all my camera equipment and a couple buddies and we're just going to be filming like vlog type things. But like the way I'm thinking about it is it's funny people encountering a foreign culture Mm. and I'm just going to try to create that the best way I can. What is the festival? Have you ever heard of the Fringe Festival? No, I haven't heard of it. So the Fringe Festival is the world's largest theater festival. And basically what happened was after World War II, uh, Edinburgh, Scotland, created this thing called the Edinburgh International Festival. And that was based uh, solely on like, you know, theater performances, dramatic arts, maybe some classical music here and there. And that was within the heart of Edinburgh. But there were a lot of people, a lot of performers that wanted to perform that were not allowed to because they weren't accepted into the festival. So what they started to do was perform in the bars and pubs on the outskirts of this festival, the Fringe. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, people liked it. It started doing better. And 70 years later, it's the world's largest festival. Wow. And so uh, for one month in August, I'll be in Edinburgh, Scotland, and I have my Bomb and Get Bombed show which is a stand-up drinking show. And I'm going to be doing it 26 times over a 28-day period. And yeah, I'm just... Dude, that is going to be so fun. It's, what are you, that's going to be a blast. It's crazy. And do you know what the wildest part is? How many performances do you think happen at the Fringe per year? And I'm talking in venues, not even including street performances. Is which that open all year long? or It's is just it... open for August for those 28 days. Oh, I have no idea. It seems like 3, hundreds. 3,000. Yeah, thousands. 3,000. 2,500 a day. Wow. So you go there and you're just like bombarded with people handing out flyers. Come to see my show. Come to see my show. Uh, there's, you know, fire eaters, sword swallowers, magicians, mimes, singers, rockers. How do you even hear about this? I heard about it because in 2016, Hannibal Burris did a documentary called Hannibal Takes the Fringe. And he went there and he did his hour-long special for like, you know, 28 days, probably did it 50 times, taped it all, and just released it. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I want to perform in the UK. I want to get in front of audiences that I would otherwise have no opportunity to yes. get in front of. Yes. And I want to grow as a comedian. And nothing's going to make you grow than doing, I'm looking at like 25 minutes a night for a month straight. That is going to be a huge growth. Yeah. So I'm going to be doing a lot of writing. I'm going to be doing a lot of content. I'm going to be doing a lot of 
you know, uh, networking, if we will, yeah. just fucking hanging out at a pub, drinking a beer with and just other hanging teams. out in Scotland. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a fucking blast. Um, well, that's very cool, dude. Um, so what else, uh, what else you got going on in the comedy world here in Austin? Um, so every single Thursday I run a show with the same show that I'm bringing to Edinburgh. It's called bomb and get bombed. And I'm still going to be doing it during August. Where do you host that? It's at a bar called poor choices on sixth and Trinity. And I have three guest hosts while I'm away. And basically the way the bomb show works is kind of talking about that. What we said earlier, which is keeping people honest and in the moment and like having that connection. Uh, it takes six comedians, each person doing about 10 minutes, but every time they say a joke that doesn't get a laugh, the uh, host drops a sound effect. And then that means you have to take a drink on stage. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) And, but because fair is fair. Every time a comedian has a great joke, the host drops a different sound effect and the audience has to take a drink. Oh yes. Let's all get plastered. So yeah, it's a big fun party. And what I like about it is, you know, it takes a bad joke and it lets everyone in the room know, yeah, yeah, yeah we're all on the same page. That sucked. Yeah. And it, it's like a free laugh. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's fun. It makes all bad jokes into good jokes and people just get to have fun, have a drink and enjoy themselves. So I do that every single Thursday uh, in at Poor Choices at 9 p.m. Cool. Yeah. Well, man, I really respect your work ethic. I love your vibe. I thank love your you. comedy. I think you're going to do really well thank over the you, next Caleb. couple of years. Yeah, dude, this is a sick podcast. So thank you for yeah. having me on. Yeah, such a pleasure. Thanks Cheers. so much, Jimmy. All right, see you guys. Peace.